Are we ready to take this thing live since we're all starting very oh, subdued? It's funny because we've been live for 30 seconds. Yeah, no, we're live. But I mean, crooked finger live. There's live and then there's crooked finger live. Oh, we're going crooked finger this early? Well, this we're supposed to start a minute ago. <laughs> well, warm me up with some banter. Oh, I got no banter, man. I, I John totally Strand has no banter? banter. Do you want me to tell the story about how we almost got arrested on bikes now? How about yes, that? tell us about this fake crime that you perpetrated. So we, we at BHIS in Sturgis, we got this building that we're trying to get set up, which the lights are sucking the life out of me. We got to change some lights and get some lamps instead. Um, on Wednesday, we have like food brought in and we go mountain biking and uh, just kind of hang out, have a good time. And we were mountain biking down by the VA hospital. And one of the people that I was mountain biking with, who will go nameless, saw that you had to cross the highway, didn't know that there's a tunnel going underneath the actual highway, and just crosses the highway and just so happened to cross the highway, not immediately in front, but kind of in front of a cop. So the cop like throws on the lights, pulls them over, and then I come across and I'm standing there behind him and I just thought it was hilarious because it was like one of us is going to get arrested for mountain biking. And I, if I'm going to get arrested for something, I want that to be on my criminal record. Like you were, you were arrested for mountain biking. Yeah. Hardcore mountain biking. Jaywalk. The judge is like sick, dude. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> man. So, so there you go. And neither of us got arrested. Although he did look at me and he goes, I just want to let you know, I don't have any warrants out for my arrest, which immediately made me think that he had warrants out for his arrest. But he didn't. He didn't. He was right about that. So and then the cop looked at me and he's like, do you have ID? I'm like, no. He's like, why don't you have ID? Like, I don't need it when I'm mountain biking. I mean, so, yeah, so that's it. I, that story sucks. I need to spice it up somehow. I don't know how you to should, make Yeah, that. you should embellish it. Just make up some stuff about how, you know, then the, you know, then the cop was like, let's go for a ride and took his motorcycle and ramped off the side of the highway. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I could have looked at him and be like, well, you don't know who I am. No. And then just biked off into the woods. Cause he all I can him. say is authorized pen testing is not a crime. Hack the planet. And then I biked off. Just like and that. then he hits you with the stingray. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say those guys are really, really accurate with those, uh, with those uh, electric guns, um, <laughs> got more range than you'd think on it. Hello and welcome. My name is John Strand. Welcome back to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how Discord was hacked, how Toyota was hacked, how Apple was hacked, and then they got them in the end. We're going to talk about how Ubiquity was hacked, and then we're going to talk about how the FBI hacked a whole bunch of people, and then how they got hacked themselves by the FBI. Snake. Probably end with that one. I think that that's probably it's a lot a of hacking. Good. That's a lot of hacking one day. I'm joined by Mike. I am joined by at, wait, Ashley. I am joined by Segmentation Fault, and I am joined by Wade. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming and hanging out on the news. So let's jump right into it. Uh, so the Discord breach is the first one that I like to talk about. Discord discloses a data breach after support agent got hacked. And overall, this entire story is just not interesting like not even in the slightest except for one little thing about it it was actually a breach of a third party um so somebody else 
and a third-party support agent was compromised. And then that third-party uh, third support agent was then able to pull down ticket, ticket queues, email addresses of customers, support emails back and forth, all kinds of fun things. And the thing I want to ask you all is, do you think that any of the different supply chain security companies would have detected this, this attack vector? Because there's a lot of companies that are doing like reputational assessments of companies and trying to determine how secure a third-party corporation is to do business with. And I seriously look at, like when I was at RSA, God help if any of you were actually at RSA, I apologize if you were there too. I don't think that any of the vendors would have been able to detect these most of these types of attacks. And I wanted to get your opinions on this because it's going to become a bigger and bigger problem. Um, the Toyota thing is another example of that, where they had data that was breached on, a I don't know what's AWS, but it was breached in a cloud provider. So what do you think? Are these third-party assessment services actually going to provide value, or is it just kind of a quick cash grab and snake oil? I'm impressed they detected it at all. <laughs> it does say the, the quote says as soon as discord was made aware of the issue so to me that means maybe the vendor themselves like caught it i don't know Th third party caught it somebody alerted them to it most likely that's what that sounds like you're exactly it's impressive right. it's impressive to catch this maybe they do have that kind of monitoring or something but yeah i mean i would say from a detection standpoint this is really tough right because you're dealing with access to systems you don't control you're talking about, I guess, maybe you'd have to monitor like the activity on these accounts, how wherever they tie into your network. But it's pretty difficult, honestly. I, I guess, I don't know, maybe the third party thing implies it was some vendor that they have. <laughs> well, it definitely was a vendor. I mean, that's one of the things that they're actually talking about is it was a third party, at least somebody that provided support um, on that. But I, I still come back to, I mean, there's, you know, people listen to this and they're like, well, how are we going to be able to defend against that? And I think that one of the things that they'll talk about is, well, I need some type of report from third-party supply chain attacks and all of these different things. Um, and like I said, a lot of that feels like garbage to me. I, I think that some of the things that organizations can um, can do that I think would be effective is get a letter of attestation from all of your third parties. If you're going to work with a third party, they should have had some type of security assessment done. The testing firm should be a quality testing firm, and they should be able to produce a letter of attestation. Um, or is it just letters of attestation just aren't that widespread? I don't have, I've heard of, I've heard them used a couple times, the letter of attestation, but I haven't heard them used a lot. And I, I agree with you that they probably should be used more, but how usually most blue teams are very scared about giving away that letter or at least. Well, remember the letter of attestation just basically yeah. says you've, you had an assessment. And the testing firm says that the organization is now operating with an approved level or approved, not approved, an acceptable level of risk. It doesn't get into any vulnerabilities yeah. at all. I've now, had, I've had companies ask for it before. I've really? seen that. Yeah. And yeah. that's a little bit scary. Yeah. We had a company that we were getting ready to do some work with, um, as, as a client, they were going to do, we were going to do a pen test for them. They said they wanted the results of our last full pen test before they would even sign a contract or, and then they refused to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And we were like, that's a red flag, Dimitri. I don't think that we're going to be signing that. They were giving you those documents, Yakov. Um, that just seems bad to me, Forrest. So we're probably not going to give you that documentation that you're looking for. I think I, the companies that are asking for those letters of attestation, it depends upon what their vertical is. Um, I've seen it in financials where companies will 
try and do that to help vet what's going on. I think more of those are being used nowadays to try and get cyber insurance than anything else. I don't know if I've heard of any cyber insurance requiring a letter of attestation yet. And I could be wrong about that. At least the ones that I've seen, I have not seen it as a requirement. Now, I've absolutely seen it on a breach assessment where the insurance company is like, we want your last pen test reports uh, for the last five years. (laughs) Um, So I've seen it there, but I haven't seen it on the upfront. But I think that that's an interesting approach, Mike. I do agree with you that it's a lot better than, say, those note card, like the grading check systems, right? Oh like you were God. saying, like those are ridiculous half like, the what time. What is it, security scorecard? I think uh, is one. Yeah, oh, they're God. just so stupid. And it's it's like, oh, yeah, you're actually looking at our honey, our honeypot, right? Like you're, I've seen those go in such a weird direction every time for my new configurations that have no tie-in to production systems so it's like oh they scanned our public facing website that isn't connected to anything all right go for it like i security scorecard i wanted to play with that a bit so i set it up for my own personal blog and i went through and it said do this and do this and do this and i did those and i watched my score drop from doing what they said to do which i found absolutely hilarious we, they, I don't know if it was a security scorecard or cyber GRX um, or BitSight, I think is another one. We had one of them and it's weird. They contact you if you have a bad score. We had like a D minus <laughs> and it's because they just got into a bunch of our honeypots, just, um, just into a mess of honeypots. We have a bunch of OA honeypots and, and they found them. Right. And so good on them, I guess. If, and it we feels had to go like back the... and forth with them a number of times to, uh, uh, <laughs> to finally get it cleared up. And uh, they were initially kind of difficult to work with. Uh, they were very, very nasty. It was almost, it almost felt like organized crime extortion. Yes. It's like, yeah. well, you know. It feels like the Yelp of, of tech, yeah. tech companies, right? <laughs> like, oh, you want that rev- bad review down? You're going to have to pay us an extra money. Well, to get they wanted that, us to like... become a customer. And then oh, we yeah. would have the ability to oh. change our, <laughs> and update our scores. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was so, I mean, a- okay, John, not to look at, oh, this is an amazing idea. Why don't we just make it so, you know, the more you pay for the pen test, the more findings you can knock off the report. I mean, that's obviously very ethical, right? So it's like, if you pay, if you pay, like, if you pay like twice as much, you can drop up to three high findings, <laughs> but yeah, sketchy. I have heard of one business anymore. I literally had that. They would find critical vulnerabilities. And then when customers would push back on the critical vulnerabilities, Rather than having a good meeting and a good conversation, they were like, yeah, we'll remove that from this report for like 10 grand each. And I was like, I remember I was at, I can't remember if it was Black Hat or it was DEF CON, and they were telling the story in front of a group of people. And I'm like, I can't believe he's telling the story in front of a group of people. Like, <laughs> like I can't see anybody. It's like, that guy, that guy's a straight shooter. I want to do business with that guy. No, but you just don't really understand calm. business. You, you don't understand business. Yeah, that, I was about to say that sounds like a salesperson 101 <laughs> trying to pump up his numbers. You know, those are rookie numbers. You pay an extra 10 grand, you can have some good numbers. <laughs> Honestly, though, to, to wrap this one up before we move on, I think this is impressive. They detected it. Impressive how little data was breached. Usually when we read these kind of things on the news, it's like, it turns, <laughs> out, the, the, it turns out they have everything. Because the supports people had admin access to everything and they had av- like, but no, this is one where all they had was access to people's emails, like email addresses, and then the messages they exchanged with Discord support, which, I mean, how sensitive, like, that is the least sensitive thing I can possibly imagine in a data breach. It's like, hello, my account doesn't work. 
Okay. Like, <laughs> I, Why I don't is my see... account banned? Yeah, you're because banned you're for posting. Because you're a racist 15-year-old who spends too much time watching Andrew Tate, so you've been Ooh. banned. It, oh, that's actually reminds... spicy. You're right. I could dox someone. It reminds right. me a little bit. Have you? Did you guys read the Dragos breach thing? Oh, Which I God, didn't see on our talk news. About that? I honestly, it's a great timeline, and I think I think it's a good story to talk about releasing your own breaches like that, right? So, but, all right. So let, let's talk <laughs> about the Dragos breach, Wade. Since you're talking about it, let's go right into that. Um, okay. So, so just full disclosure, like a lot of people at Dragos are really good friends of ours, and you know they worked with us on backdoors and breaches and our own version of that, and that's that's pretty cool. The big problem I have is one. Not a problem, but like the write-up of that breach and Ryan's now scrambling to try to find that breach to throw it up on the screen. Oh, he got it. Um, the write-up of that breach that Dragos did was spectacular. Um, it was absolutely just fantastic in the level of disclosure. And they used it instead of like, you know, here's how we got hacked or saying, you know, there, Dragos has been announced that there's been a breach. And at this particular point, we don't believe that any client communication has been compromised. And the, the standard thing, they literally turned it into a learning experience where they basically broke down. Here's all the techniques that were used. Here's how, here's what it did. Now, the only thing I'm concerned about, and somebody can correct me on this, but the attacker said that they got something like 183 gig of data. And that's a lot of data. And Dragos is saying they didn't. Apparently, someone that was new to the company that just came in fell for a social engineering attack that was actually a pretty advanced social engineering attack. And my experience on this is, you know, it, it's like flipping a coin, 50-50. Either the attackers have the level of data that they say that they have. And um, it's bad. Whenever a company says, we don't believe the attackers access that much data, or the attackers are bluffing. And it really comes down to a coin toss for me. And I, I don't know. Like I, I tend to agree with Dragos just because they're Dragos, but I uh I don't know. It's it's just kind of it always makes me uncomfortable because if BHIS is compromised, or I should say when BHIS is compromised, because when a company runs long enough, it that probability eventually hits one. It's just something that's going to happen. When you're somebody that owns a company or is working in a company that gets breached, you always don't know, right? You always don't know just how bad that breach was. So, Ashley, I'm going to throw this like first question over to you. Like, what's your thoughts on this? Because you've been working all day and you've been in meetings all day. So I figured I'd throw this one your way. Oh, by the way, if this yeah. is a completely unrelated thing, you should totally check out Anti-Siphon Security Training Introduction to Industrial Control Systems. Um, it is on on demand. And uh, I'm trying to see if we have a live version of Yes, we do have a live version of it coming up as well in a totally unrelated series of events. Ashley, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I really think that it's it's interesting the the kind of you know method that happened, right? So it was a new employee, it was their personal email address that they had sent credentials to. And I think that that's an interesting practice because you see it a lot, right? You you're you're getting onboarded to a, a new company and you don't have access to that email address yet, and a lot of a lot of cases with you know all the remote work that we're doing, you they send your credentials to a personal email address, and I, I think that that's something that is kind of it's standard practice, but maybe that's something that needs to be addressed as a standard practice. Maybe there is you know a, a better way to do that rather than sending this kind of information to personal email addresses because you can't 
you can't guarantee the security of somebody's personal email address. You can't mm-hmm. guarantee that they're not using, you know, password. And so I, I think that that brings up a, a, a point that we've, we've just kind of come to, you know, that's just how we do things. And I don't know that, you know, I've ever heard anybody really kind of address that or, or talk about that or even think about, you know, maybe we shouldn't do that, that this way. Maybe we should, you know, onboard these remote employees in a different way or, you know, set up some kind of, you know, multi-factor authentication or something before, um, you know, beforehand. So I, I think it brings up that, that interesting point. Um, so we set up security scorecards for individual people. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so during, during COVID, I've actually started three jobs. Um, and so I'm very familiar with like at that. At the remote. same time? <laughs> at the same, I'm overemployed. You don't even know him, Jack. I better not say that. Uh, <laughs> but I will admit each one of those jobs, instead of sending my email, it's always, <laughs> I'm going to reveal this. It's always actually with the laptop that gets shipped to you. So it's a hard password. And then you have to like get on a phone call and Please. walk through it. Wait, mm-hmm. please so tell me it comes with a post-it note right on top of the notebook. <laughs> it is a one-time it? login. I will give them that. And <laughs> but oh my god, my password is sufferance succotash. Uh, one, two, three. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> to, I will to say Ashley's in, in, point though, right? Like this person was compromised before they got hired. Yes. And that's it's not that it's not that it's, it's not necessarily they exchanged an email. I I don't know, maybe there's more details I didn't check out, but once you have access to that employee's email address, you negotiate the parameters for how you can receive that information, right? So I think it's just like comes down to for the company, if 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 you are a company who does a lot of remote work or like you don't have people coming into the office and you just hand them a post-it note, then you need to have a procedure that assumes that the person's email is compromised prior to their employment, which is just like very paranoid, but also probably useful potentially. Like, um, I think it just comes down to like doing a little bit of like, I know for BHIS, we don't exchange credentials via email for new employees. I think they actually like, it's pretty funny because I've encountered this with um, one 1099 employee that I was working with for BHIS. And he's like, Hey, I forgot to save my password during onboarding. And I was like, uh, yeah, we do a human proof of life verification. So that's going to suck. He thought I was kidding. And then like, he's like, no, actually, like, yeah, I had to, like, I had to talk to Nick and like show him my driver's license. Like that's our IT guy. So like, yeah. so, like if, if there is, you know, that maybe is not the, how we always do it. But if you work here and you lose your password, we don't reset it unless you show us on a video call that you are there, you, you are who you are and you can prove that. So I don't know if that would have detected this or not, but depending on the APT group, if they hired someone named, you know, something and then they get on the phone and it's like hello i need access to accounts for hacking part you know like I, maybe maybe there would have been some way of uncovering the suspicious so activity on, but i don't know on the blue team side this is why i think valid accounts is one of the hardest ttps to detect mm. and one of the ones if you can do some type of really good detections for this you absolutely should because all the big data breaches we've seen, there's been some type of valid accounts in there. And most of the security companies that we've seen, it's always been like Cisco. This is the same exact thing that happened to them pretty much, right? Someone came in through a personal email. Uh, there was who got hacked with their Plex server got hacked. That was, who, uh, oh, was that? Um, oh, you, I know we talked about it so much. I don't remember, but that's the same thing. Was it no, GitHub? It who, GitHub. No, no, it was, it was um, someone, but it's always valid accounts. Last pass. So. 
Last, last pass. pass. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, valid accounts. I mean, it's tough to detect. It's procedurally, I guess, you know, make sure you aren't exchanging credentials in a way that, like, assume your employee is compromised before they get, you know, once until it touches your sphere of influence. And this this applies to the Discord thing too. It's like once it apply once it touches your sphere of influence for detecting and alerting and security, you have to just assume everything before that is bad. Like it's it's tough, but like that's just what you have to do. But yeah. Really interesting. I mean, I, I give them 100% credit for being transparent, being clear. And I totally agree with John, like that that decision of, because I've seen it go both ways. Looking at the data breaches um, that I do, a lot of the times people will claim, oh, I have 158 gigs of data. And it's like some stupid marketing database that's right. like, yeah, or like there was one company that's that was exactly breached. what it is. It's going to be a yeah, bunch they're, of they're like, for oh, their sales decks. <laughs> it's three terabytes of data. And then it's just like some maps that's like no. a library that's another part. Like it's just some stupid junk. Or but, sometimes but, it's but, MSI but. and there's code signing certificates or there's an NTDS. Like it goes either way. So but on this one, didn't they actually show a screenshot of some of the data that they did have? And some of it was a bit of a concern. I mean, I'm trying to find the picture where they uh, where they took a screenshot of what it was. Yeah, I mean, they said we have everything. You better reach out within 48 uh, hours. But of course, they didn't have everything. And no, they didn't have everything. So, and uh, great. I met one of those. I met one of those. Uh, one of those articles where you click a link in the article, it takes you back to the exact same article that you were just uh, reading. The loop right? <laughs> I hate that so much. Uh, but no, they had a screenshot of some things and I can't remember uh, where, there we go. No, but it looked like it was contracts maybe. Um, I don't know. But once again, it, I hope, I hope truly it's just a bunch of sales marketing propaganda. Um, but uh, we'll I mean, see. yeah, it, what it, the thing about breaches and like, dealing with them on a day-to-day -day basis the thing that matters the most is that you know what was breached so that you can combat it because once you know what was disclosed you can fix it like whether it's revoking your code signing certificates changing all your passwords um you know telling your customers what was accessed or all that kind of stuff like if if you get access to 158 gigs of pen test reports yeah that's bad i guess it's the best way to get your customers to fix things uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but let's also you know, but let's also kind of talk about the psychological aspect of, of them getting out in front of it, right? I know. Where they, where they immediately talk about it. They're immediately sharing screenshots of how the social engineering attack went down and how they you got You confront it and it takes away their bargaining chip, yeah. And, and, and it does, but it also psychologically, I think for customers, current and future customers, they feel a little bit more comfortable. Because um, one of the things that, that I got when, when going through this attack is I was like, holy crap, I think it's entirely possible that this type of attack would work on a number of people across multiple organizations, including BHIS. And it would be potentially more impactful, right? Like th yeah. th they actually got off easy, not, not to say that it wasn't impactful to their team and their personal, you know, people getting threatened and that kind of thing. But like looking at the breach and the disclosure, it looks like they did pretty much did everything right. Yeah. And aside from the things we talked about, about assuming that the person's email is compromised that you just hired, which is 
really paranoid and like could be alienating to potential employees. Well, yeah. If you start telling but, people that I want to gain access to your private email so we can scour through it. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. I would not I'm like, nah, you're good. You're not getting my personal PC. Yeah. I just threw them. I threw the hard drive in the microwave. You guys are even. Right. Me. So <laughs> Kenneth just brought up a great point. Kenneth yeah. Tanner said, doesn't this future validate zero trust models organizations should be using? And, and I'm two, two minds on this, right? Like so many people use zero trust as this sort of uh, like marketing snake oil, right? They, they just sprinkle zero trust on everything, but it is a real thing. Like basically everything moving into the cloud, there's no concept of a DMZ or a perimeter and all those where your assets are absolutely everywhere. I think that this actually shows that, right? I do think that you're looking at, you know, what happens when you have people working from home and what happens when you have people that you're hiring that have a whole bunch of baggage associated with possible breaches as well. So yeah, I, I think this does validate the zero trust models. My only concern about that, Kenneth, even though I think that that's a correct statement, is you have about 10, 15 vendors that'll take that and they'll try to spin it specifically to their product and their definition of zero mm -hmm. trust. Yes, I, no, I agree. I, I think the answer is that it, like zero trust is a marketing term that is incorrect. It's just like passwordless. It's like, okay, you aren't typing in a password, but there's still authentication happening in the exact same way. Zero in trust the is the same thing. If if yep. you do zero trust, great for you. However, there is there is a trust model still. You are still trusting like the Something. person that the person that sets up the MFA is the person that you said they are. Otherwise, it's not like if I provide you with a fake or improper phone number and then you send the do uh, MFA enrollment text message to the wrong email address, whoever you send that to, you're trusting them. That's not, that's part of it. Like, so if a person is, it's just an interesting attack. And I do think releasing it, um, I don't think most zero trust providers would just be like, oh yeah, we got this one in the bag, no problem. But mm -hmm. like, you really do, there is some trust. And I think that Dragos's whole reason to publish this is it could help uh, other, other companies people. defend against this attack, which absolutely it will, because I would not have but, thought of this. But now that I read it, it makes perfect sense that you know also, you compromise. It, also, it, it makes sense. But it's also great optics. You convert the entire conversation about is Drago secure? Are they not secure? What's going on? To now it's a learning thing where people are going to their website and they're reading their write up of how they actually handled it. Like I said, I, I think it's brilliant. It's the way organizations handle. And if it. you're the and if you're the company that says we're not going to do business with Dragos because they got breached, you are the problem. Yeah. You yes. are the problem. Yeah. Do not be yeah. that company. This it's not about who got breached and who didn't get breached. It's about how they reacted. And this is when you read how they reacted. Yeah. They did everything right. And also, good luck when it, we test you. We'll test your social engineering. And not everyone. I mean, there is always limits to social engineering. If, and there's we learned anything I, from I this podcast. I want to do a caveat though. Oh. I want to do a caveat real quick. Okay, the caveat is. If there was a substantial amount of very serious data that was breached and Dragos downplayed it, they very well could be in a lot of trouble. Uh, yes. But so, if we've yes. learned anything from this podcast is when you get hacked, it really. It's how yeah. you react, well, well, not it's whether how you, you react, hacked. but what yeah. really happens to you. Yeah. Like <laughs> nothing. At the I end do want to go back to one of the things that was said there. And John, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, but not completely on the zero trust thing. And it's just to bring up one more point for what, what Kenneth had said. I agree wholeheartedly that, yes, it validates that the model is important. And it's something that if you look at it from not just academically, but applying it will help protect you. I think where it breaks down to validate it is the trust part, right? In this specific story, there's already a number of layers of trust 
that are happening, just as, as Corey said, just as Wade said, just different things are happening there. There is no zero trust model that that I'm aware of that a vendor would have. And maybe this is to your point. Maybe it's not even disagreeing that that can do that, that when you say I've got a new employee and I've got them hired and they go through all the checks that we have in place. And they get their account at that point, they're operating more as an insider threat than anything else. And I don't know how zero trust would do that. We live in the, yeah, we live in the world where a lot of companies, <laughs> vendors have taken security terms and turned them into products. Oh, sure. And that just makes it very confusing because when we talk about zero trust, we're not talking about the Gartner top magic court unicorn quadrants right. leading product of yeah. zero trust. We're talking about the idea that every individual has to authenticate to everything individually using MFA, basically, and that to sum it up, it's more complex than that. But essentially, the BYOD type of model where everything is accessed individually using granular permissions, that is a product as well. I don't know what the heck it does. It probably costs like $2 million a year. But Absolutely. that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the concept. So right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's talk about zero trust a little bit more and how you can properly implement zero trust. Let's talk about Apple because, oh, holy crap. So in this particular story, a leaker by the name of Analyst 941 was leaking information about Apple and specifically about Final Cut Pro coming to the iPad. And I can't remember. um, I think it was Logic Pro was coming to the. um, um, Oh, both come into the iPad. I think they hold were on, they always on. Logic and the Final Cut like iPad apps. Um, yeah, so I'm going to set this one up and then I have to jump off. I have an emergency um, like wellness check that I have to do on a friend. Um, mm-hmm. So at any rate, this particular leaker was leaking all kinds of information. And then they actually leaked some information about the fact that it was their sister and their sister was somebody that was working with some executives and all these things. And... It turns out that Apple was able to find out who the leaker was, specifically by the dates. Um, you can also detect, they also believe that Apple is catching leakers from color changes, comma placements, where to put italics inside of different files, uh, basically a bunch of different things that they're doing to be able to detect whenever somebody is leaking data out to track it back to the very specific individual that got that file. Um, so absolutely just fantastic. I'd like to say cyber deception techniques that I'm quite totally incorporated to my class, but it kind of shows the level of paranoia that Steve Jobs incorporated into this company and it continues oh, to go yeah. forward today. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and John, go take care of whatever you need to take care of. Yep, I got to step uh, up but, for a second. Yeah. But, um, I, I would say like, really, I, I think that I wonder how many ex-CIA people work for Apple. Like, so that's exactly like, what like, I was going to say. This, seem, this, yeah. this reads exactly government, secret agency, compartmentalization. Like, yes. This is I'm totally so glad spycraft. you said that. Giving totally different glad. information. Like, By the way, oh, he, I'm dialing. I'm dialing at the moment. I just want to let you all know that the United States government and classified facilities doesn't do this level of right. stuff. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. right. Well, no, 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 that's no, not what the movies you. tell us, though. All right. No, that's well, the real- <laughs> Everybody so all, jumped in on government there, and that's not what I saw. I saw, in especially where Apple's headquartered and a lot of the creative talent they had, I saw Hollywood. And Hollywood? Who I mean by that? Uh, oh, yeah. So uh, that is a very, com- what they're describing there, the color changes to things like that, 
very often when they have like extras and whatnot that will have like a single line or something like that for a big movie, they might only give them part of the script. And even when they give them part of the script that they need to know, if there are elements in that scene that could be spoilers, one extra might get a scene like I'm picking on Star Trek because there's a number of articles around that kind of thing for both the Star Trek movies and one I'm going to paste into the private Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Okay. Um, so one of the things that they do uh, is they will change like the ship. Like if there's another ship, like the Klingon, whatever, or th- this, that, it will have a different name in different scripts. And it doesn't matter because it's not a plot mm-hmm. element that changes how that person behaves. But if it leaks online, they know only the extras on this day had yeah. the script that had that. Oh, they and, and they go way beyond this. Like, oh, yeah. the, even even and they do it for the actors too. Like, even the mm-hmm. lead actors will get five different scripts with five different endings, and no one will know what the final ending is. Like that, I know they the did best, that with Marvel. Bad. Marvel the wouldn't even example. let Tom Holland be by himself. Mm. He That's always right. had to be the, with somebody. <laughs> right. The best go example ahead. of it is actually Empire Strikes Back, where oh, everybody yeah, yeah. on set heard Vader say, "Obi Wan killed your father." Uh-huh. And it, the real answer was, as we all know, I am your father. And they totally downplayed that completely different line that only a couple of people knew was happening when it needed to happen mm-hmm. and when it was shot completely on its own. Everybody uh-huh. else, nobody else in the movie knew the truth. I think James Earl Jones was like the only one of the actors. Yes. Yeah, because he would the lines in Mark, post. Yeah, yeah. It, it's totally like a mix of Hollywood and Spycraft, which is why it's such a good news story. But basically, it, when you have a trillion dollar company... Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to think about the overhead to implement this. That would have to be ridiculous. And then and track also, it back to the individual user. Like, It's funny because I honestly wonder, like, you know, we'll never know because this is part of their secrecy policy. But I really do wonder if like they if the security team is this is like adjacent to them, if they have like a data loss prevention team. That's an exact. Yeah. Deal. Like or if they're like because this is totally like ties in like, you know, they want access to the sim so they can look at every single log related to this user's infrastructure or whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's I just I I guess the last thing I want to ask, is there like a security? I mean, there are there are some security ways that we do this like cobalt strike has embedded fingerprints and you know like i guess i'm thinking like how can you use this for security how can you like uh you know key how can i do this how can i hack with this i don't know i don't know i, I going back to technology though and not hollywood i'm putting another link in there ryan this was another one that happened recently that wasn't spycraft but it was uh the the music service genius uh, hid Morse code in their lyrics because they were pretty sure that Google was just stealing the lyrics and then and then presenting them. So when you search for Google in Google for lyrics and it pops up the lyrics, all they did was scan everything off of their website. So what they did was they started ha- uh, hiding Morse code based on the, the 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 periods in the lyrics, and then were able to definitively say that's not part of the lyrics. We added that in. You definitely copied us. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I mean, there's yeah. so many good examples of this. I love I, I love it because it's just like crafty hackers that aren't technically hacking. They're just like doing, you know, hacker things, but in like their own and mm-hmm. whatever world they live in. It's like sitting down at the table and being like, how do we 
stop this guy who, okay, how does he do it? Oh, he takes a photo on his phone. Okay, well, then we, we can't use watermarks. We can't use digital fingerprints. We have to like make the picture uniquely identifiable to each person. And then sitting down and thinking through, well, how do we do that? How do we, how mm. do we like make it so that the picture this person takes with their phone of whatever thing is 100% identifiable uniquely to them, whether it's, you know, changing the color of a comment in a document or, you know, a, a invisible watermark that can be identified some other way. And so it's just an interesting read on, you know, mm -hmm. And, and, and they're making an example. They're totally doing this. Like, I would guess that this operation, like, there's no way this was financially any beneficial to them at any capacity, right? Like, honestly, I kind of wonder, like, it, what is the financial, what is the downside of leaks? Why are they so, like, is it just this is their corporate culture? Because you know, to I, me, I, it just, it feels like pre-marketing. Like, like, why are they like, well, that's, that's exactly what it's, what the value is for. We're Apple. talking about this it goes back to Steve jobs. Who's the master of presentation product presentations. And he wanted to be the one to show the world. This is the okay. new iPhone. So and it's he just wants the culture and all the articles what that like. shows him yeah. with the, with the photo of the iPhone. So that's the goal. If it, if it's some other leaker on YouTube, that's the image being credited in the article. Well then Steve lost his on screen time and Apple lost their on screen time. They want to be the center of the story. Yeah, they want to But it's it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's funny cuz it's like in a way the leaks are just viral marketing. So it's oh, like right. like it's it seems like you're you're putting great financial burden on the company to identify all possible leaks when really all they're doing is talking about how they're excited for your new product. Like Here's here's <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to put on the gray bearded God, I hate that I know these things and yet I do. There is there is actually uh, a, a issue beyond just punishing leakers and letting them know we will find you and we will kill you kind of thing is in many cases, if it's a big enough announcement and they don't control the release of that information, especially if it's pinned back to them, they are a publicly traded company and that can be used to manipulate uh, the stock. Good. So any uh, sort of material... So Way to bring the real fight. Come on, man. That's why I sighed so loud. No, you're good. You're good. You got it. I come back to Ian just ruining everything. Yeah, pretty much. He just ruined the whole story. Yeah, we were we were talking about why Apple would do this, John, and and I had to give the sad sad SEC filing material market manipulation. I thought it was going to be more like there's one adult in the room. <laughs> I thought it was going to be more like uh, the recent, <laughs> the recent data theft with uh, the military, right? How that guy leaked those stuff. I oh, thought yeah. if if Apple does this amount of work for people just taking pictures to leak, like, oh, there's a new phone coming out. Imagine what they would do for real DLP cases, right? Like, so, it's, so <laughs> okay. Here's the question: When is Apple going to release the real, like, Apple data loss prevention private military service? It's 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 coming out right now. That's what all like, this is for. <laughs> like, is that, is that, should we leak this now live on stream? That that, uh, that we just Apple, made this up. We're so gonna get sued. <laughs> I, I'm making this up, but seriously, like, it is funny because it makes a company like Apple, who presumably has a similar level of control or even less control over their employees, doing insanely technically advanced things to prevent this, and then the government's like, Discord can't stop it, dude. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing <laughs> we can do. I deception. Here we go. Somebody could just totally walk in here and stuff like documents in their socks and walk out. Like, I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's just a funny and and, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, I guess it. Yeah, it's an awesome article. It's fun to just read all the crazy stuff they're but, doing. But I will say 
the government <laughs> needs to take a page from Apple's book. They like, do. This the other stuff. thing that you need to take from this that I think is the most important thing is Apple does security better than you because they have an infinite amount of money. Um, so, <laughs> like when, when David Rice or somebody enters a room and he's like, I got a crazy idea for computer security. There's people that are just like, yeah, sure. How much is it? Ah, I don't know. A billion dollars. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, how about you submit it so I can approve it? Is that okay? <laughs> I don't want it to go above me because it's just too many questions to uh, answer. How are we spending this billion? So yeah, if we, I mean, uh, it is funny. The government has unlimited funds, and yet Apple is somehow like outfoxing them at every turn with the the leaker stuff. But yeah, um, do we want to talk about Snake, the FBI, and the FSB? Uh, the DNS thing? No, no, no. This one's an Ars Technical article. How one of Vladimir Putin's most prized hacking units got pwned by the FBI. Which I mean, it's too buzzwordy enough, not to cover it. We got to cover yeah, it. Yeah. In, this, in this whole article, they don't talk at all about how the F FSB was hacked, like, at all. Um, Wait, is this rate, clickbait? That's illegal. Oh, is this the article? Sidewinder? No, no, it's it's literally like the it's first snake, story in so notable stories, right? It's, yeah. no, it's the, the first in the notables. How this one of Vladimir Putin's. Right well, he right said here. snake, so I went for the snake. Yeah, there you go. This is the one right here. And, and there's another one right here that's the actual CISA alert associated with this. And there's a lot going on in this press release. Uh, I'm just going to call out CISA for, come on, you got to dribble and drab this stuff out. This advisory is like a lot of paragraphs long. So Put it in TikTok. Wait, they, they could have just released it on TikTok. Like, hey, y'all, we hacked the. We They're hacked just the like FFP. dancing. We you found stung. a kill switch. <laughs> <laughs> now we got a dancing barrier in the video. Like, what the hell is this? Honestly, I would, I would like and follow and subscribe. Oh god, <laughs> I would in this particular situation. If it was like FBI agents like dabbing on Russia. Like, <laughs> just a bunch of ray-bans it's like it's like we found the kill switch <laughs> so all right so alana was bringing up what's the too long didn't read um so basically they were able to completely break down the snake malware because there were some issues the way it was using prime numbers in its in its crypto so they could actually crack into it and find out all the stuff that it did and they released a big long article that's missing some incredibly important things um, which I'm going to get to here in a second. Um, but if we actually go through the Snake malware and some of the things that it's actually doing, and I'm breaking it down, Snake is just the next iteration of malware that apparently the FBI has been dealing with since 2003 and what they do. Uh, so they've attributed it to the specific group in the F FSB, mainly because, you know, Center 16 and all of these different groups. I believe the FBI has them completely compromised, right? And this malware has been basically hitting a large number of different uh, market verticals uh, for quite a while. But if we start breaking down some of the interesting things about this malware, one of the things that's, well, they didn't find a kill switch. They found a way that they could easily identify nodes that were compromised, uh, specifically in the HTTP iteration of it. And um, it, they break down in the article how this malware is using legitimate ports that are currently in use on third-party websites. So you can be someone that's compromised and the malware is there and it can possibly just sniff and grab data and send it up, but you can also be a node in the network. So you can compromise a series of web servers or a number of different servers. And the normal web traffic can go to the web server 
And then it can analyze the web traffic. And there's a specific string of characters at the beginning for the HTTP communication of Snake. Um, there's also DNS versions that has some really, really cool stuff. And then standard TCP um, level uh, backdoors where it completes the three-way handshake in the fourth packet basically is creating like the communication for the crypto. And I don't know a lot about crypto. So um, what it's doing is something that's been around for quite a long time. Not saying that it's not novel, not awesome. It's just, we got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, the first piece of malware that I saw that actually did this, we've mentioned in the show before, it's a piece of malware that's created by an individual called Holy Father, called Hacker Defender. And Hacker Defender had a number of different levels as far as like you could purchase the malware and it had a number of different ways that it could actually persist in the back doors. And one of the things that it could do is it could ride on top of existing TCP IP ports that are open. So the malware doesn't actually open up its own TCP port. It just rides on top of HTTP. So it looks like well-formed HTTP going to a web server doing normal HTTP things. Um, so it has a stub in its communication, what it's done and what it's uh, and what it's sending. And as um, as Corey was talking about, um, one of the weaknesses of the way that this is actually implemented was you could literally go through and you could just send a whole bunch of packets with the header information basically saying that it was dedicated to the communication for the snake um, server. And then you were able to identify the different nodes as well as far as the session. So they going. did build a tool that just kills it. They built a kill switch. Oh, they That's did what Perseus build a kill switch. Is. They, oh. they, the funny thing, so basically the FBI reverse engineered and they built something they're calling Perseus, which is just funny. I don't By know. The way, White Cyberduck brought up a great point. The FBI called it Perseus. They should have called it Parcel Top. They yeah. absolutely should have, but that's, yeah. that's supporting J.K. Rowling, and they were not that. They didn't Ooh. want to get it. Yeah, but no, it's it's pretty funny. So they built this kill switch, they, or they built this thing that when you send it to snake malware, it kills the snake malware, which it impersonates the operator, which is really funny to imagine. Like, I'm sure CrowdStrike will have this like next week where I like get my Cobalt Strike server up and running. I, I run a, an agent, and then they're like, we have terminated all your beacons because we reverse engineered your... <laughs> Oh, dude, like we it, actually got a call. One of our um, Cobalt Strike servers um, was identified. And yeah. we actually got a notification from the FBI. They're like, is this a legitimate Cobalt server? Did, did you did you pay for a license? And we're like, yes. They're like, carry on. Um, <laughs> yeah, so but imagine factor 20, right? And then, so, and then so you're fun... like, and what about that WinRAR license? And you're like, uh, well, oh, uh, <laughs> and that's when uh, Black Hills had to shut down. But right? yeah, um, basically, like the thing is, uh, so they they built this like kill switch a program that just like you send it to bad IPs and it's like no more malware, no more malware. But they had to get warrants approved to like run that against the targets. Which is, I think, is pretty funny. It's like the FBI identified all the Cobalt Strike servers, and they're like, "Okay, we got to figure out which ones we're allowed to nuke." So it's like, it's actually impressive that they even bothered instead of just sending that packet, the kill packet, to every host on the internet or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool. I mean, I'm sure this is great. This is real yeah, FBI. I, this is this is what I want my tax dollars going to. Not like, yeah, uh, this is know. where you want it to go. <laughs> I want so reverse engineers to be half the budget. You bring up a really good point because it, it, they have precedent at this point to do exactly what you said uh, it, a while back when the oh man which which OWA vulnerability was it <laughs> no it wasn't Kicker um it, it, it fairly recently in the last two years 
they went back and they got a special order to go in and like rogue patch OWA servers for the good of the nation. And we're just Ooh. going around patching them. One of the and, first uh, cases that. that they ever did that was the Wallet Act Batnet, where they were able from an ex parte injunction, um, they were able to actually degrade the botnet's capability and uh, by doing DNS black holing, but they were also able to gain access to systems and degrade the botnet through quote unquote other technical measures, which was crazy. So but that's the first so one I know of that actually went to a legal case. It's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, talk about precedent. This is like, it is funny that we're talking about, well, the government had to get warrants to deactivate kills, uh, this malware on X, X IP addresses. Right. But then we talk about how the entire ranges of ports are just blocked at every residential ISP because of malware. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, four, four, five outbound from any home ISP is a no go because of configure. Like even today they like still block in like major ISPs. So it's funny. Like yeah, the FBI is over here. Like, can we, um, can we disable this botnet? Let's get a warrant. And then like 10 years ago, FBI was like, Hey, we're just going to need you to block this port in the whole internet. <laughs> like, it's like, like i don't know it's just funny how their tactics have shifted because i'm guessing nowadays there's not the political will to be like block this port for the whole internet uh okay but my money like i don't know like so yeah. the other thing that's really interesting about this CISA article is what they're not saying um and i'm going through it i'm trying to find if they actually address it because clearly i missed the uh the thing about the kill switch, of course, that wasn't in the CISA article. That was in another article. Um, they keep talking about the kernel driver, the kernel driver, the kernel driver, the kernel driver, the kernel module, the kernel driver, how it communicates between kernel mode and user mode, uh, user mode. And the thing that they're missing, at least as near as I can tell, if somebody can find the text, I'm going to have people do their homework, do my homework for me because I'm going through it and I can't see it, is how the hell are they getting a kernel module into a Windows computer system? Probably a driver. F. Bring your own driver. Yeah. Okay. I get That's it. It's guess. a driver. It's a kernel module. You have to do that. But freaking how? Because right now there's only two ways that you can get a kernel module. And actually, not, I shouldn't say only two major ways that you can get a kernel module into a Windows computer system. The first way is you get access to a digital code signing certificate that is a valid digital code signing certificate. I'll go through three ways. Um, and that is something that we've seen the Russians use in the past, specifically with Duke. Um, they were specifically looking for code signing certificates. So one of the questions I want to know is, did they actually use valid code signing certificates of third parties? If so, are those third parties compromised? The other way that you can actually get a, a, like a code, uh, like get a kernel module um, or a driver into the computer system is to do a boot kit. Um, so basically, whenever the operating starts, you basically have uh, secure mode and user mode and how it boots up. But anyway, whenever it's booting up, how it actually boots, and here's its boot cycle, but it's talking about how it's decrypting things. So is this a kernel mode or a boot mode level rootkit um, on it as well? They're talking about how it's decryption and how it's actually accessing. It's not talking about how it's actually bypassing the kernel level code signing verification. So the other way, I don't, yeah, the third way I don't, just to, is you find an exploit that bypasses that authentication. So how in the hell is it actually bypassing the code, the, um, the kernel mode um, verification that's been since like, I think Windows Vista was the first time that mandatory kernel driving was actually required. 
It has been patched yet, so they don't want to release it. So I I don't know. I mean, that's a really interesting point that they omitted that from the write up. But I would guess, like, if you and this is something that we've experienced on the malware development side is that in Windows 11, there's a vulnerable driver block list um, that is mm-hmm. enabled by default, and it's actually would negate a lot of this stuff in my opinion like i I don't have i'm not like an internals expert but i i think that if i had to guess what they're doing is they're bringing a legacy vulnerable drivers that are publicly disclosed and they're using those that that would be my guess because there's a lot of those yeah and it's hard to like stamp them all out which is why windows 11 is just like no we're not doing this yeah we just saw that thing about uh Oh, we, just saw, we just saw that with that. Uh, we talked about a EDR bypass that did that exact same thing a couple episodes back. I can't remember what it was actually called, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, I threw that art uh, Microsoft article in there, but there's like it's a lot of Windows internal stuff, but basically there's a lot of legacy stuff that can be abused to load stuff into the kernel um, if you don't have these like driver blacklists enabled. So. Yeah. And looking at their boot cycle, I went back and looked at it again, and it's still not talking about what the magic is. It's like step five, initializes the queue and loads the module. It's like, how is it bypassing code signing certificate verifications? John, draw uh, the rest of the owl. Yeah, now draw the rest of the owl. Yeah, I, I would, it, All it the probably was delivered doing. hundreds of different ways, probably. Right, like but, they, they probably had so many initial access vectors. But those are really in, like if it's if it requires if you have admin access, you totally can do it. Um, but if it doesn't have admin access, you need to have some privilege escalation capability. And even getting that, even if you're admin, to get that kernel driver loaded, you you you've got to have man, you got to somehow get around the uh, signing. And the reason why I'm like really, really, really interested in this is there's some really fancy crypto that it's doing. I'm not interested in that. Um, there's some <laughs> things where like, here's the strings and the HTTP communication that you can add. not interested in that they can totally change all of that. They can fix the crypto issues that CISA called out. They can address all of those different things. But if we're looking at the TTPs, the one TTP that CISA could have burnt for them cost them the most money was how are they bypassing the kernel verification? Um, cause that would easily be the most expensive. And I don't know which yeah. one of you said it, but I, I do think you're right. Um, the only thing they're patched yet. Yeah, everything. Everything that I'm looking at, it, all they're saying is that it used a concealed storage mechanism. How they concealed, what that concealed storage mechanism is, I can't the, seem to find anything. They, on. Uh, there's deployed containers as a matter TTP down at the bottom. But so whenever yeah. I read these reports, I actually read the TTPs first it's before probably the actual to read reports. The TTPs, and then you go through it because unless they writ then unless the report is well-written and has the TTPs within the report as you go through it, it's usually better to get a quick information guide. This is like reading uh, the test, que- the questions of a test before you, or the qu- the answers to a multi-answer que- multi question. There we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you read the answers before you read the question. And so but still I, we fall into T1014 and it's like rootkit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty vague. <laughs> They didn't yeah. like uh, sub techniques here. If you notice, that this was a well written paper. I don't want to. I don't want to rip on it because they, whoever researched this, like my hats it, off to you. Like to sit there and cut way. through the crypto the way that they did, like that's a level of patience that I just do not have. Um, I think Tricep nailed it. Maybe the NSA uses this method so they don't want to disclose it. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. entirely possible. <laughs> or yeah, wouldn't be the first time. 
<laughs> first time. You say it could be a printer module, but if that's how they did it, you would think that they would have called that out, you know. But so, the printer John, modules if have restrictions. We talked about reading the answers before you read the question, and I think we should, in this case, go with option D, all of the above. I think that that's a possibility, right? Because there is no, uh, there's no such thing as pure user mode rootkits or kernel mode rootkits. They use all of the techniques uh, when you're looking at rootkit techniques. Miter t.star. <laughs> the old t.star, huh? That's... Ashley just uh, shared an article. Ashley, you want to talk about that real quick? Uh, well, it's a super, it's a super long, uh, it's a super long article and it, and it goes in like, you know, um, it goes through everything, uh, but it's, uh, it's, this is the, it's the documented, um, kind of walkthrough of how they, um, how they bypass that, that driver check. Yeah, um, back in 2008, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, I believe this is 2008. Um, so it's 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 old, but I, I imagine that it probably is some somewhere. It's going to be a variation of this, um, or possibly a variation, right? So this could it could be a variation. Like this is walking through how you can bypass. So that'd be like an exploit privesque type technique. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 my thoughts behind it. Um, you know, when I when I first saw this, I was like, oh, I was like, this sounds really familiar, and then I had to like remember where I'd seen it before. Um, but I, I'm assuming it's some kind of, some kind of variation there, um, of, of that, that exploit, but yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's an old one, but it's, it's, it sounds the same just from, you know, reading the reports and stuff like that. Obviously, like, you know, I can't find anything where it's, it says exactly how it's being done, but, um, but yeah, it, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is close. It's, so it's still a really yeah. good article. It's good information. Is, I, I, either feel way. Like we're all at, I feel like we're all at Vegas, right? And the roulette wheel <laughs> is spinning around and we're all kind of placing our bets, right? Like you're like, here's a bypass technique. They found a new way. And, uh, and it's like, uh, and I'm like, ah, I'm I'm going to go with boot kit or something like that. It's just, we got to wait for the ball and see where it lands because it's going to, it's going to land at some point. So all right, everybody. I think that that's great. Ashley, thank cool. you so much for joining. And once again, right. please check out Ashley's class, um, the Introduction to Industrial Control Systems. Um, it is fantastic. It's gotten very good reviews. So thank you so much for all the hard work that you've been doing on that. I'll have to get you on some more webcasts as well. And yeah. uh, with that, everyone, as can, always, thank oh, you so yeah, much. Can we, can we, I think there's one feel-good article for the blue team that I just want okay, okay. to... Okay, we'll, we'll, okay. Okay. Well, you're that one guy in the meeting. Is we have any go backs? It's like right. one go back. If you if we don't even need to talk about it, I just no, think no, you guys fine. should go Let's read end it. On a positive note, Wade. Let's do so, it. So uh, this big pipes uh, article right here is talking about work between the private sector and the government in order to take down large botnets. That's that's the pretty much the key to it. I think this is an awesome work that people are actually going out there doing that. It's a group that's been kind of covert. I think it says 2014 or 2015. I can't remember, but this is a, a great story that I felt very warm hearted where the good guys are actually winning for once. And mm. so it, go read it. I don't, I'm not good at talking today. I drank too much caffeine during this. So. <laughs> caffeine. It's, it is funny. The week that Ashley showed up is the week that we didn't have any industrial controls hacks for yeah. Like yeah. the first <laughs> time in like eight, months or whatever like, totally just, just like <laughs> tripped and fell on that one we'll have to get back. So. yeah i mean technically there was one but you know maybe i'll come back next week and we'll talk about it 
There that's go. all good. Perfect. That's make that a plan. And a teaser. Come back next week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can talk about uh, talk about ABB. There we go. Ooh. Let's do it. We'll talk about IoT control hacks and more on the upcoming. Talk about. <laughs> all right. Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs>